Well, good morning. The following message is brought to you by the CD Ministries of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Our pastor, Matt Shia, is currently on vacation, but filling in for him this morning is our discipleship pastor, Lou Dawson, who will be preaching from James chapter 1 and talking about trials in our lives and how God molds us through these times. Open your Bibles now to James chapter 1, and here's Lou. Lord, how could we not proclaim and do anything but proclaim what a marvelous God you are, Lord? Everything about that we see all around us just screams what a wonderful and magnificent and powerful God you are. And Lord, for that very reason, we fall down and worship you and offer the praise of our lips. So Lord, be be glorified and be lifted up in our praise and worship today because you are worthy. We love you, Lord. and We want to submit our lives to you and be obedient to you in everything. So Lord, as we come to your word today, cause us to have hearts that are ready to hear, and most of all, hearts that are ready to obey. So Lord, bless this time in your word, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You, can, you can be seated. Well, Horatio was a well-known Chicago lawyer and a solid Christian to boot. He and his wife, Anna, not only walked with the Lord, but also invested their time and their earnings in the ministry of the prominent evangelist, D.L. Moody. And in the year 1870, though, things began to kind of radically go wrong in the lives of Horatio and his wife, Anna. That year, scarlet fever claimed the life of their only son. And a year later, a fire burned up every one of the numerous real estate holdings and the properties that they owned along Lake Michigan. In 1873, after a few years of toiling to recover from this economic disaster which came uh, their way, they decided to take a well-earned vacation to England with their four daughters. D.L. Moody was preaching in England, and they decided that they wanted to join them there on his preaching tour. Now, just before the family's departure, uh, as they were getting ready to go across the Atlantic, Horatio received a word that there was some very important business that, they, that he needed to attend to before he went. So assuring Anna and the girls that he would meet them a few weeks later over in England, he put them on the boat as planned, and off they went to, over to England, and he returned to Chicago to attend to his business. Well, nine days later, on November the 11th, 1873, Horatio Spafford received word that the ship his wife and his four daughters on had sunk in the middle of the Atlantic. And the only one that survived, and just barely, was his wife, Anna. And grief-stricken, as you probably can imagine, Horatio boarded the next ship that he could catch for England to join his wife. And in that small stateroom, in the midst of his grief, he wrote the song that we know as, It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, 
it is well. It is well with my soul. And fortunately and thankfully, most of us will never have to face the hurricane of trials that assaulted Horatio and Anna. But make no mistake, trials will come. Jesus promised that in this world we would have tribulation. And Job made the comment, he says, man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. And not surprisingly, as Pastor Matt and I talked recently, it seems that many of us here in our own congregation are going through a season of trials. And with that in view, it seemed appropriate that we look at what God's word says about dealing with the inevitable trials that come as a result of living in this fallen world. And thus this morning we're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And the title of this morning's message is Triumphing in Trials. But before we jump into the text, it's important that we understand the distinctive background of the book of James. Jesus' half-brother James wrote this general letter to Jewish Christians who were scattered in countries outside of Palestine. And many of these Christians had fled persecution that had broken out in Israel, and now were living, they were living as, as aliens, as exiles in foreign countries. And thus, in many ways, this letter is very appropriate for all of us. As we steadily march towards the last days, we Christians are aliens, exiles, even living in our own country here. Our culture is becoming increasingly hostile towards us who hold fast to Jesus and hold to his word. And because of this, both in James's day and our own, we should expect trials. It's no surprise then that dealing with trials is the very first subject that James talks about in this letter. And though James is writing to his brethren living in exile, his primary goal in writing to them is it's not to comfort them. And even as we read this letter, we shouldn't look for James to kind of come alongside and put his arms around us and hold us close. That's not really his goal. His objective throughout this letter is to exhort his readers to live a life that is consistent with the gospel. And because of this emphasis, the verses that we'll look at today, they read almost like, almost like Proverbs. They're very concise, tightly worded, packed with practical advice on how we can handle trials. So with that background in view, let's look at James chapter 1, verse 2. James starts out and says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And in this verse, we see James exhorting his readers that they triumph in trials by means of a joyful perspective. Now, before we unpack this verse together, we first need to give a little more clarification to what James means when he talks about trials. And the word that James uses here means a test that exposes the true nature of someone. And the word itself is actually a neutral word and can mean either a negative or a positive meaning, depending on the context in which it occurs. Now, in verse 2, you'll notice that it's translated as trials. In actually verse 13 of James 1, the same word is translated tempted. 
And in the text we're looking at today, trials are events which the Lord allows to come into our lives for the purpose of revealing the true character and increasing the quality of our faith. And these trials almost always break the pattern of peace and of joy and of happiness in our lives to at least one degree or another. They can be either short or they can be long-term. But they're all designed by the Lord to expose weakness and challenge us to grow in our faith in the Lord and in His Word. So what does James exhort his readers to do with these trials? First off, he actually commands them to think of them as a joy. And I don't know about you, but when I first read these words, my first reaction was, what are you talking about, James? You mean, you want me to think of the sickness, the difficulties, the suffering, and all the stuff that I go through in this world as a joy? Have you lost your mind? And then, as if to add insult to injury, look at the text there. James tells his brothers they're to consider it all joy. In other words, they're to view their trials with a, with a, a complete, unadulterated, throw-a-party type gladness. And as I was studying this passage in preparation for the message and kind of considering my own initial response to James's exhortation, I ran across a very painful comment by the theologian Warren Wiersbe. He said this, Our values determined our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, the trials will make us bitter, not better. Ouch, Warren! But I think Wiersbe hit it right. Our response to trials really reveals a lot about what is truly important to us and what is in our heart. But back to our text, notice that James doesn't add any qualifiers to his command. He obviously believes that it can be done. And therefore, we have to trust the Lord that he will empower us to do what he commands us. Unless we think that James wrote this after he had fallen off a curb and hit his head on a rock or something, the Apostle Paul actually says something similar in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. He says, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. So this concept of viewing trials as a great joy, it's not an isolated idea at all. It seems difficult, but the Lord expects it, and he will also empower us to obey James's exhortation. The Lord never commands us to do anything except that he provides the grace to be able to do it. James goes on to offer a little encouragement as he addresses his readers as my brethren. And in this expression, James is reminding them that he's right there in the same boat with them. Just like them, he is challenged to consider these things as a joy also. Notice also that James says, when you encounter various trials. Trials are not a matter of if, they're a matter of when. No one really gets a free pass here. 
All of us, James included, encounter trials to one degree or another. So as a starting point of dealing with trials, James tells us that we must choose to think of trials as a joy. Now fortunately, James goes on and gives us some instruction on how we can view trials this way. Look with me at verse 3. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now in this verse, we see James exhorting his readers that they triumph in trials by means of right thinking. Now notice the, the first words in this verse, knowing that. Now the word that James uses here for knowing means, it means knowing by experience. And what are we supposed to know by experience? We're to know that the Lord isn't just randomly allowing these trials to come in our way. He just isn't that kind of God. There's a purpose in trials that the Lord allows to come into our lives. Let me ask you, have you guys ever had a trial come rolling into your life that at the time it it just kind of looked like a random disaster? But later on, when you look back on it, you can see the good that God accomplished in that. Ever, how many of you guys ever had one of those come into your lives? Yeah. The Lord has purposes for the trials that he allows to come into our lives. And James goes on to tell us what the purpose of these trials is. First, he tells us that the purpose of these trials is to test. Now, this is a different word than the word trial that he uses in verse 2. Testing is a process by which the genuineness of something is determined. And in this case, trials are used to test the genuineness of our faith. You see, when we respond to trials by continuing to trust in the Lord and His Word, our faith is proved to be genuine. And also our faith is purified through this testing. And the scriptures are full of examples of men the Lord put through trials to reveal and to refine their faith. The Lord allowed years of painful trials to come into Joseph's life. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, and then he ended up unjustly being thrown in prison for a number of years. Yet through all those years, Joseph continued to trust in the Lord. And many years later, after being released and reunited with his brothers, James said this about his trials. As for you, my brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. The severe trials that Joseph endured revealed and refined his faith in the Lord. And Job is another example. In spite of the nearly unbearable trials of losing his entire family, of losing everything that he owned, and then, on top of that, losing his health, Job said this in response to his friends, Though the Lord slay me, still I will hope in him. Again, these trials in the life of Job revealed and refined his faith in the Lord. James also tells us a second purpose for the Lord allowing trials into our lives, and that is endurance. 
So you see, as we patiently continue to trust in the Lord in the midst of trials, we develop this essential quality of endurance. And as we endure, we grow stronger in our faith. And the Apostle Paul recognized the connection between endurance, growing stronger in our faith, and trials. He commented this in his second letter to the Thessalonians. He said, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged, it's growing. Therefore, we ourselves proudly speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance, your endurance, and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. You see, right thinking about why the Lord allows trials into our lives is critical to being joyful in them. As humans, it's, it's so much easier for us to endure trials joyfully when we know that there's a purpose behind them that's ordained by a God who dearly loves us. And for this reason, to triumph in trials, we must understand that the Lord uses trials to reveal the quality of our faith and strengthen it through endurance. Now moving on, let's look at verse 4 of our text, where we'll see the third and fourth means by which we triumph in trials. James says, And let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And in this part of the verse, we see, this first part, we see James exhorting his readers that they triumph in trials through a submissive will. Notice the very first part of this verse. He says, and let endurance have its perfect result. You see, our natural tendency when we face trials is to, is to kind of squirm and wiggle and do whatever we can to get out from under, under these trials. Let's face it, trials are just not comfortable. And for this reason, James exhorts his readers to, to willingly submit to enduring trials. He tells them, don't push the trials away prematurely, but allow them to have the chance to accomplish what the Lord desires. And make no mistake, endurance, when we face trials, produces positive, lasting results. When making uh, cutting tools, normal high-carbon steel, which is it's very brittle and really not very strong, it's very carefully and slowly heated until it just glows. And the steel that emerges from enduring the heat of this process is extraordinarily hard, and at the same time, it's bendable. And such heat-treated steel builds both lasting and strong things. It's very useful in making knives and other high-quality cutting tools. And in a similar way, Endurance and faith, when we are immersed in the heat of trials, produces strength and usefulness. In fact, James tells us that endurance and faith produces a perfect result. Now, the word that James uses here for perfect doesn't mean moral or spiritual perfection. Rather, it means to be fully developed and mature. 
So James is telling his readers that they need to persevere in their faithful endurance so that the Lord could accomplish spiritual and moral maturity in them. And for this reason, to triumph in trials, we must allow trials to produce the intended result by not pushing them away too quickly. Now moving on to the second half of verse 4, we see James exhorting his readers that they triumph in trials by recognizing the result. In the last half of verse 4, notice the words, so that... Now, with these words, James wants his readers to clearly understand that there is a cause-effect relationship between enduring in faith during trials and spiritual maturity. In the end product that the Lord uses trials to accomplish, James goes on to elaborate on the nature of these things. First, he indicates that the Lord uses faithful endurance in trials to make his people perfect. And this perfection is the same one we've just talked about here. It's essentially spiritual maturity. Now second, notice that James indicates that the Lord uses faithful endurance under trial to make his readers complete. And interestingly, the Greek word that James uses here is the same word from which we derive our English word hologram. Now do any of you know what a hologram is? What is it? What's that? It's an image, but what is there that's unusual about the image? It's not real. What does it look like? It's three-dimensional. It's a three-dimensional projection. And that's what a hologram is. It's a three-dimensional depiction of an object whereby the object actually looks real. And the strawberry in this picture is actually a hologram right there. You can see him sticking his finger in it. It's not real, but it looks very real. In a similar way, the Lord wants to make his people three-dimensional. He wants them to be whole. He wants them to grow into maturity in all areas of their Christian lives so that they, they are balanced and they are healthy. And this is precisely the reason why the Lord allows a variety of trials to come into our lives. Each trial is designed to to test and strengthen us in different areas of our Christian lives so that we're balanced and whole. And last, James indicates that the Lord uses endurance and trials to make his readers lacking in nothing. You see, trials are what the Lord uses to strengthen his people. They're what the Lord uses to teach his people to love him. Trials are the means by which the Lord causes his children to renounce their love affairs with the world. And they're the only way that his church will be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. One commentator made this observation about trials. He said, trials lead to well-rounded virtue. There is no virtue that trials cannot build. There is no defect trials cannot remedy. No strength trials cannot impart. And for this reason, to triumph in trials, we must focus on the end result the Lord desires to produce through trials, and that is spiritual maturity.
So in conclusion, if you're suffering through trials today, and I know many of you are, take James's exhortation about triumphing in trials to heart. First, maintain a joyful perspective during these trials. Second, think rightly about your trials, understanding that the Lord is using them to reveal the genuineness of your faith and to refine it through endurance. Third, be submissive during these trials, not pushing them away too quickly, and thus allowing the Lord to produce its intended result. And lastly, recognize the desirable outcome that the proper responses to trials bring, and focus on the spiritual maturity that the Lord will surely produce in us when we respond rightly to trials. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for trials that you allow to come into our lives. We honestly admit to you that they're not comfortable to go through, Lord. But we know that the only reason you allow them is because you love us. And in your great love, you know what will bring you the greatest glory and cause us to experience the greatest joy is when we resemble Jesus. So Lord, cause us to rejoice in trials, cause us to embrace them, to endure them, to look forward to the beautiful result that you will produce through them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www. Dot ranchobaptistchurch.org That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.